Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. This message concerning Nineveh came as a vision to Nahum, who lived in Elkosh. The Lord's anger against Nineveh. The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He, take re- he takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. At his command, the oceans dry up and the rivers disappear. The lush pastures of Bashan and Carmel fade, and the green forests of Lebanon wither. In his presence, the mountains quake and the hills melt away. The earth trembles and its people are destroyed. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like fire and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust him, but he will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, or you have a view of one of the church Bibles, if you want to turn back to Nahum, Nahum chapter 1. Now, first of all, this morning, can I say how grateful I am to Robin and to David and Rona uh, for being willing to take the service uh, last week whilst uh, Anna and the boys and I uh, were at Anna's brother's uh, wedding. It was very much uh, appreciated uh, by us all. Now, you might have realized that uh, we have reached the month of June. And I don't know quite how that has happened, but here we are. We're almost halfway through the year Uh, already. And we have gone through our month of growth in May, and we're now in the month of June, uh, which is the first of two months of recreation. Two months of recreation. Now, what do we mean by recreation? Is this what we mean by recreation? Just sitting by the pool, lying by uh, the pool, uh, relaxing by the pool? Well, of course, There is a place, isn't there, for rest and relaxation. And these are good months uh, to be able to to do that, especially when the weather has been so good uh, as it has been recently. But it doesn't mean that we give up on God during these months and we just lay our faith uh, aside. And we do have a few things uh, that are planned for the summer. We've already had our stall at the Galladay yesterday. And again, a big thank you. Uh, to all those who helped. Uh, We are planning a summer Cayley. We're planning a summer afternoon tea. There's an afternoon outdoor time planned for uh, the young people. And summer's often a a time for reading as well, isn't it? We often take our favorite book on holiday uh, with us. And so I've put together uh, a Bible reading plan that will take you through uh, Mark's gospel and some of the minor prophets before uh, our next month of prayer in August. And you'll find that reading plan on the reverse of your Nahum sheet uh, this morning. 
um, so you can uh, do that uh, if you if you wish. You'll be able to read the whole of Mark's gospel very quickly, uh, some of the minor prophets, and that will prepare us for our month of prayer in August time. So whilst this is a time of, of rest, and it is a time of relaxation, uh, there's also plenty for us to be involved in, and I would encourage you uh, to be so. Now this morning we find ourselves again in the Minor Prophets, and we find ourselves in the book of Nahum. Now, uh, as you come to this book this morning, you might be saying to yourself, well, I've never heard of this book before. I have certainly, I don't think, ever preached on this book before. I'm pretty certain a lot of you will never have heard a sermon uh, on this book before. And perhaps the only time you've ever come across the book of Nahum is in a crossword clue, as Anne remind us, reminded us this morning. What do you call a silent bee? Nahum. <laughs> That's possibly the only time we've ever heard of it before, because it's quite an unusual and quite an obscure uh, book. Now, on the other side of the reading plan, you should have your outline of Nahum, and uh, we've watched our video uh, this morning, our overview video from the Bible Project. And it was very clear in that video that Nahum is quite a gloomy book. It's quite a difficult uh, book, which is slightly ironic because Nahum's name means compassion, it means comfort, or it means consolation. And yet this is such a gloomy and a difficult book. The tone of the book is harsh. The message directed towards a particular nation at a particular time. We might not think, well, this is terribly relevant to us. It's, it's speaking about Assyria and it's speaking about Nineveh. They don't even exist these days. So how can this be relevant to me in 2023? And so although this is a, a beautifully written book with acrostics, poetry, clearly written as a book, you'll notice some of the other prophets, it's clearly their prophet, uh, prophecies that have been, uh, or their visions that have been written down. Nahum is written as a book. It's written this way. Even though it's a beautifully written book, we might wonder, well, how can this speak to us today? But we believe, don't we, I hope we believe this as a church, that God's word transcends space and time. And there's always something for us to learn from God's word in all its parts. And I believe that this is the case with the book of Nahum. You see, what's happening in our world at this time? The picture on our screens was something that happened just this week. I'm sure you saw it. Uh, in the news. It's a picture of the dam uh, that was blown up by Russia uh, in Ukraine. Thousands of people have been uh, and are being evacuated. There are long-term consequences for farmland and agriculture. And as we all know, the war in Ukraine has been going on for well over a year now. And it isn't the only war that's happening. There are terrible things happening in Sudan, in Khartoum, where many have died in the, in the civil war there. Many tens, maybe hundreds, even in this past week. There's continuing violence in Afghanistan. 
And there are so many places in our world where there is violence and there is injustice. And in the midst of it all, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel helpless. If a dam is breached and the water comes out, what can we do? We can't do anything, can we? Because it's just so powerful, all this water coming out. And sometimes when we see these wars and different things happening in our world, it seems like too big a problem. And we can just see no end in sight. We just feel helpless. And sometimes when we see a conflict, like what is happening in Ukraine, we wittingly or unwittingly think that even though we can't do anything, that God can't do anything either. That God is impotent to do anything. Or if he is, that he doesn't really care. But that's where the book of Nahum is helpful to us. Because you may have noticed in the first eight verses, or certainly verses two through to eight, after the introductory verse in Nahum, that Nineveh and Assyria are not mentioned. Did you notice that? In the overview video, it was all about Nineveh and Assyria. Because that's what you find in chapter 2 and 3 and the end of chapter 1. But in verses 2 to 8, they're not mentioned at all. Instead, what you find in these verses are more general principles of what God is like. And rather than this being gloomy and difficult, because I don't want you to leave this place today thinking, Oh, what was that about today? That was just so gloomy and so difficult. These verses ought to be an encouragement for us. That when we look at situations like happening in our world, that God does care. And God is powerful to do something about it. That's the encouragement. You see, the book of Nahum, as our video said, addresses the tragedy of violent oppression and human suffering in history. And it shows that that rather than just standing by and not caring, that God is grieved. He's grieved by the injustice and the violence that's happening in our world. And his goodness compels him to do something. And that's what we see in these opening verses. Verses which transcend time and space. Now, the verse that epitomizes this most is probably verse 3. Because it says here, the Lord is slow to get angry. That's not the right verse, is it? There you go. I better read it from the screen. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. And before that, it says... The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. You see, as we've learned throughout our series in the Minor Prophets, God is never hasty. He's never impulsive in the way that we often can be, can't we? Sometimes we do something in our lives, ah, I shouldn't have bought that thing so quickly. You know, it's too hasty in doing it. But God is not like that. He's not hasty. He's not impulsive. He is patient. He's slow to anger. 
And so we can trust that God is not about making snap decisions. He gives time and space for people to change and people to repent. And indeed, a few weeks ago, we looked at another book where Nineveh was mentioned. Do you remember that book? You know that book well. It's the book of Jonah. And what do we find in that book? Well, God gives the people of Nineveh the opportunity to repent when Jonah goes and preaches to them. So God is patient. He's slow to anger. But at the same time, we have to realize that God's power is great. And he doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. So it's not as if God is a, is a weak God. Or he's unwilling to do anything about injustice. Now that's really important, isn't it? Because whilst we might look at Ukraine and Sudan and feel helpless... We must never fall into the trap of thinking that God is powerless. Because what do we find here? His power is great. And we mustn't fall into the trap that God doesn't care. Because even though the Lord is slow to anger, there comes a time when when punishment will come for those who do not repent. And what do we see here? No one can stand before a God like the Lord who is mighty and powerful and awesome. The mountains quake and the hills melt away. Nothing can stand before the Lord. And so it's not as if God is a procrastinator and just puts things off like we do on a Monday morning when we've got difficult things to do at work. And it's not as if he's not powerful is simply that everything will be worked out in God's own time. And so what do we learn from Nahum? We trust that God is fair, that he gives time, that he's not impulsive, but that there will be a day of reckoning. But notice that when you look at this passage this morning, that there is balance You see, when we look at this passage this morning, perhaps you came away a little bit fearful, did you? Maybe. Because in this passage you see how powerful God is, how awesome God is, the righteous jealousy, the anger, the judgment. And maybe you begin to feel, whoa, hold on a second. God is is so awesome. Who can I, who am I to, to stand before him? And maybe we begin to feel, you know, God is far off because he is so awesome. Now, of course, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? And there is a place for for holy awe before a holy God. Often these days within church, we can get the impression that God is our pal, which brings him down to our level rather than giving him his proper place, that he is Lord over all. Sometimes we can be too chummy with God. And so there's no reverence, no awe. But there's balance here. Did you notice that? You see, don't fall into the trap of thinking that God is distant and God is cold and God is unknowable. And the balance is right here in this passage. It's shown by verse 7. What does it say here? You see, in the midst of judgment, 
and righteous wrath, what do we see? The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. And how important are those verses? You see, when we trust in God, he is our refuge. So that when trouble comes, we are sustained. He's close. He's not far away. Now in the particular context here, as we saw in the video, this is the fate of God's faithful remnant. That God is their refuge. That they will be preserved in the midst of judgment and God will sustain them. Now in the Old Testament, the object of divine warfare is different from that in the New Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, as we find in Nahum here, God warred against the flesh and blood enemies of Israel, against the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Assyrians. But that's not true in the New Testament, is it? You see, in the New Testament, Paul sees Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension as the culmination of spiritual warfare against Satan. And Jesus' warfare against Satan anticipates Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus leads his army in the final battle against Satan. And so what I want you to see here is that though the Nineveh of Nahum no longer exists, the picture of God being a refuge and the picture of God being close to us is a picture for us as Christians. That when we trust in Jesus, then God is a refuge in the big spiritual cosmic battle that is going on. And we have nothing to fear. So as 21st century Christians... Let's look at the message of Nahum, written all these years ago. Let us be astounded at the power and the wonder of God. That God cares. He still cares. He cares about the people in Ukraine. He cares about the people in Sudan. He cares about the people in Afghanistan. He cares about injustice. And he's powerful to change it. But let's also rejoice that God is our refuge. That he's close to us. And therefore in the cosmic spiritual battle that rages on between good and evil that we have nothing to fear. You see, when we trust in Jesus then we can come before a holy and almighty God with confidence, without fear, because our sin has been paid for. So this morning, in a small gloomy book, let's be encouraged, encouraged as to the character of God, who's unlike us. He's powerful. He's not hasty. He's not impulsive. He's patient. He does things in the right time. But let's also be encouraged that God is a refuge. Maybe today you're really struggling in your life. You're wondering where God is. You're wondering, well, does God care? Yes, God cares. 
May you find your refuge in him. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word in all of its parts is able to teach us and inspire us. And even in this particular book written at a particular place, at a particular time, to a particular people, that it's still able to speak to us today in 2023 to tell us of a God who is powerful, a God who is able to change things at a word, and yet a God who is a refuge for his people. Father, we look at situations in our world, such as that in Ukraine. We see the misery there. We see people being evacuated from their homes. We see the destruction of farmland, long-term destruction, but it will take some time to recover. And we ask, Lord God, where is the fairness? Where is the justice? When will this ever come to an end? We look at Sudan in the midst of civil war. Many people being killed. Bodies being left just on the street, not even buried. Again we ask, Lord God, where is the justice? But Father, when we look at the book of Nahum, we thank you that you're a God who's powerful to change things. And you do this in your own time. That you're not hasty or impulsive. Because you know the beginning from the end. And you're the God in whom we can trust. Father, we pray in these situations in our world that your mercy would come to bear. But Father, we thank you also that we see that you are a strong refuge when trouble comes. And we thank you this is true for the Israelites as it is for us. That for those who trust in you, that we have nothing to fear. That's not to say that the storms won't come, but you are with us in the storms. You're the one who sustains us, who protects us. You're the one who leads us home. And Father, we pray for the church in our world today. Even though we don't face obvious persecution in our own nation. We do pray for those in our world who face persecution and those who are struggling this day. We ask that you would hold them firm in your love, that they would know your comfort and your compassion. And Lord God, we pray for the church in our own nation at this time. We recognize that we face many challenges, that we face the closure of buildings, which mean a lot to so many people that we face structural change, lack of finances, lack of resources, lack of ministers, lack of members. But Father, in the midst of the challenges, we pray that we would be ever trusting in you because you are a powerful God who can draw people to yourself at a stroke, 
who can change things overnight. Father, may we trust that you still care for your people here in this country, that you still care for us as a church. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we don't want to remember those who are particularly struggling. We remember those who are in hospital, those who have recently undergone an operation, those who are awaiting treatment or undergoing treatment at this time. And we ask for your healing hand to be upon them. We pray for those who are struggling with long-term physical health issues or long-term mental health issues. And we ask, Lord God, for your hand of healing and blessing to be upon them also. We pray for those who are grieving this day. You know the pain of loss and sight. You know that emptiness. We thank you, Lord God, that you're able to fill that emptiness with your love and with your care, with your comfort and with your peace. And we ask for those who are grieving that you would be close beside them this day. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those in authority over us, for our King and his family. We remember the government, the Prime Minister, the Cabinet, the First Minister and the Scottish Parliament, and for all those who represent us locally. Father, help them, enable them, May they be diligent in the task you set before them. So, Lord God, we thank you that we can draw near to you in prayer. We thank you that you're a good God in whom we can trust. And we pray that we would leave this place today not gloomy, but encouraged. Encouraged at the powerful God that you are. And encouraged that you are our strong refuge. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.